It's your Wednesday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand, back at it for another day, back in the uh, AM/PM mode as we are during these Twins playoffs. Had another bonus podcast last night. Go give that a listen. Off of the nine-one loss to the Astros, Twins on the brink, but still very much alive. Down two-one in this series. I'll get to a little bit more about that in a minute here, but uh, if you want a more in-depth breakdown of that game in particular and a spin ahead to Game 4, um, I was joined by Lavelle E. Neal third for part of uh, that sh- that bonus episode, so go give that a listen. Game 4, 6 p.m. tonight. That's a game-time change because Texas finished off the sweep of Baltimore. No longer a 1 p.m. start, a 6 p.m. start. I'm planning to be there um, in person. If you see me roaming the stands, trying to grab uh, grab people to talk to, come say hi. Give me a give me a shout, and I'd love to. I'd love to hear from you guys, and uh, and we'll see you out at the ballpark on uh, on Wednesday night. Rest of today's show, like I said, a little bit of twins here in a minute. But Sarah McClellan from the Star Tribune covers the Wild. Will join me here in a little bit as well to talk about the start of that season. Yes, the Wild opens tomorrow against the Panthers at XL Energy Center. Just one thing right after the other, but uh, Sarah will help you get ready for the start of that season. Not a lot of new things on the on the Wild's plate this season. Kind of a little bit of the same roster-wise, but some interesting questions at the start of the season, including can Marco Rossi Finally make that jump that the Wild really needs him to make. And can they weather the storm with a limited amount of defensive players right now? Limited defensive core with Jared Spurgeon out, Matt Dumba gone in free agency. Not a, not a, not a roster with a whole lot of depth right now. Um, not, not, not so much that they don't have guys down in Iowa, but they're going to be carrying the bare minimum on this roster as a, uh, as kind of a way to circumvent or work around some of their salary cap issues. So, Pay attention to that as the season goes along. Sarah, Sarah and I will get into that here in just a little bit. First, though, what did I miss? Like I said, I got a few lingering Twins thoughts from not just last night's game, but from the whole postseason so far. And, you know, you might say, what do you what do you glean from a 9-1 to game? It's a blowout. What do you take from that? Do you just wipe it away? You can, but I also think there's good information to be gleaned from a game like that and what it told me is a couple of things one i go back to 2019 when i went to the twins home opener that season i don't think they they didn't score a ton of runs that day i think they only scored two runs but i looked at their lineup i looked at it i'm sure i've talked about this before but i, I saw nelson cruz right in the middle of it and all of a sudden it clicked for me in my head that wow this is a this is a lineup that looks formidable this is a lineup that that should be taken seriously that makes a lot more sense when you stick nelson cruz right in the middle of it now that team did not hit great in the postseason that team faltered after winning 101 regular season games and setting a major league record for home runs that team did not hit great in the postseason but they also ran into some really good yankee pitching in three games so small sample size being what it is still what i would say is this the 2023 Twins and eventually the 2024 Twins feel like their lineup is a Nelson Cruz type short of being really formidable. They, they got a lot better down the stretch of this season. They've had their moments in the postseason. Royce Lewis has had his big moments in the postseason. Carlos Correa has had his big moments in the postseason. They are one 
dangerous hitter short of me really liking their their lineup in a postseason setting. There's just too many guys still right now. Maybe this is a little bit of youth. Maybe this will get better as time goes on. But there's too many guys that I look at in the lineup right now that I can't take really seriously in a postseason setting against the very best pitching in those situations. That became evident, I think, in in particular in that 9-1 loss. Yeah, pitching told a big part of the story. Sonny Gray's terrible outing, which we covered in depth in that bonus episode last night. That was a big, big part of the story. But another big part of the story was all the runners left on base, the 14 strikeouts, and just the, the general sense that there wasn't enough of an approach at the plate that was going to be successful in the playoffs. Yeah, there's shadows. Yeah, there's, you know, good stuff coming from the other pitchers. I get that, but they just don't seem like they have quite enough serious hitters yet in the lineup, enough threats. A guy like a Jose Abreu, again, that's a, that's a little bit of a, you know, a cherry picking because he had two home runs and he did not have a great regular season. But a guy like that, a guy who you look at and you have to fear that hitter because if you make a mistake or if you even if you don't, you know, if you miss your spot by a little bit, he is going to make you pay because he is not going to miss that pitch. He knows what he's looking for and he can do damage if he gets that pitch as he did a couple times on Tuesday. I'm not saying exactly like that, but I'm saying a Nelson Cruz type. That was obviously that was obviously a home run slam dunk signing. Um, he had you know tremendous years for the Twins in 2020, 21. Um, I'm sorry, 2019, 2020. He was good again in 21 before they traded him. That was the takeaway I got from from Tuesday's game. Partly that they were still they their lineup still feels like they're one hitter away, and if they can address that next year, that will be something that could help them going forward. Now. That's the roster. The roster they have right now is the roster they have right now, and they shouldn't be giving up on that in any stretch of the imagination because they are still in this. Ironically enough, I mentioned Nelson Cruz. They got Joe Ryan for him um, in that trade in 2021 with the Rays. Joe Ryan will be pitching for the Twins in Game Four tonight. That is the other piece of that that's interesting to me because their pitching depth this season was the reason they made the playoffs. That was the thing that kept them in. The, the start of the season when they couldn't hit, that was the thing that was still consistently good down the stretch. But two of their five starters are free agents, Sonny Gray and Kenta Maeda. Sonny Gray had a bad outing yesterday, but he was terrific all year. That is going to be a tough one to replace. Kenta Maeda did not have a great regular season, but he was very dependable every fifth day when he was healthy, and that was more often than not. That's another guy you're going to have to replace. Thinking about a future postseason rotation without Sonny Gray, yes, I know he didn't pitch well Tuesday. Thinking about a, a rotation that has Pablo Lopez at the top and then a significant gap, it seems, until you get to the rest, that that feels like a, something they're going to have to bridge going into 2024. It gets a lot easier if you know you can trust somebody else in the postseason, and we haven't seen that yet out of anybody else, namely Bailey Ober had another rough outing. He started game one. Did not look great. Came in in relief on Tuesday. Did not look great. If you know, small sample size again, but we're getting this kind of little bits of information. Like how how do these guys look in a postseason setting? Can they be frontline starters in a playoff series? We need to know that about Joe Ryan. We'll learn some of that about Joe Ryan in this game. I don't know how deep he's going to work. If he looks good in this game, though, that will tell you a little bit more about what you need going into next year. So information to be gained from a loss, information to be gained from a game four, but more than anything, an opportunity here right now to uh, to get back in this series. And I think the Twins have the potential in this game. I think they have a good plan or a good potential for a plan going in with the pitching. 
see how far Joe Ryan can take you. And then after that, you've pretty much got everybody else that you could want available. Guys like Chris Paddock and Louis Varlin, guys could give you maybe multiple innings, guys that could be factors in the 2024 rotation, but are factors in the 2023 postseason bullpen. Duran is ready to go. Um, you got Brock Stewart, I'm sure, is available. Griffin Jack should be able to pitch an inning. Emilio Pagan could pitch an inning. Caleb Thielbar. Everybody that you could want in this game should be able to give you at least an inning, if not multiple innings. So the pitching plan is good. The hitting plan should be better because Jose Urquidy, the, uh, the Houston starter, is not of the same class as the first three guys you faced in this series. You should be able to get to him. Now the Astros do have plenty of good bullpen arms to throw at the Twins too, and they do have Justin Verlander sitting there in Game 5 should it get that far. But hey, the Twins have Pablo Lopez ready to go in Game 5, so if they can get it there, I think they would feel pretty good about themselves. And that was kind of the plan in 2002, 20, 21 years ago, the last time the Twins won a playoff series, that was the plan. They get, they were down 2-1 to a favored Oakland team. Game four at the Metrodome. Twins got down 2-0 early, rallied in a big way, won that game 11-2, forced that game five back in Oakland where Brad Radke went six and two-thirds strong innings. Twins win that game 5-4, to four, advanced to the ALCS, the last time the Twins have won a playoff series before this year, the last time the Twins have advanced to the American League uh, Championship Series was that year. So, hey, it was 21 years ago, but that's kind of the formula. That's what they need to do right now. All hands on deck right now in this game, and then see if they can get it to a Game 5. We'll see if they can do it tonight at Target Field. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion, the hope, the anticipation, that incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino, let your story begin. I am really happy to be joined today by Sarah McClellan, wild beat writer for the Star Tribune. Puck drops on another season, Sarah, later this week. Um, I don't quite know what to make of the Wild this year, even if it feels like I should. The roster hasn't changed much, but yet I think the to me the biggest question is can they sustain a certain level that they've been at or even surpass that? And I think you've hinted at some of that in your early preseason writing. Can they sustain that even as other teams maybe get better, even as they kind of prepare for another year of this kind of salary cap pinch what what do you what do you make of that kind of big picture question as we go into the regular season can they sustain where they've been yeah I think that's fair because there's just such a big chunk of their budget that isn't available to them (laughs) that isn't being invested in this roster obviously with the nearly 15 million dollars being tied up in the Zach Parise and Ryan Suter buyouts. Obviously, this is the first year that that cost is this high. So when you look at that math and you think of what that, you know, could be used to help this team, it's it's jarring. You know, it, it, it is a big chunk of change. And so, you know, you can wonder, well, then how could that help this team? But the fact is, it's not there. So it is very much the similar roster that, that we've seen in the past. So, can they stay the same? Can they get better? Uh, you know, I think that's a fair question going into this season. You know, I, I think on the one hand, the fact that they 
have kept this core intact, that so many players are familiar with what's gone on here the last few years, you would think that would definitely fuel the motivation um, to still make a step in, in, a, in a positive winning direction this season, even though there is, there's an excuse ready made for this team. If, if it doesn't, you know, even make the playoffs this season, just because of the cap situation. Um, but the players have been here, you know, this group now has kind of had this lesson, you know, a couple years in a row now, a few years where, you know, they've had great regular seasons, but it just hasn't translated to the postseason. So maybe that familiarity, having a nucleus in place can help. Um, but you're right, you know, teams are on the rise. I think the West, especially this season, is going to be very rigorous. Obviously, the defending Stanley Cup champion, Vegas Golden Knights, are in the West. But Edmonton obviously looks very much in its Stanley Cup window to succeed with Connor McDavid and Lane Drysdale at the helm there. So, um, and then that's not even looking inside the Central Division with Colorado and Dallas obviously coming back. And, you know, Colorado had a longer offseason after, you know, winning that Stanley Cup. Dallas is always competitive and seems to be in contention for a division title. So um, it's going to, it's going to be an interesting season, but you're right. I think it's very much what's next for the organization. And can this set the tone for these next two seasons when there's going to be a lot of obviously their financial resources tied up elsewhere and not on the roster. I think what's interesting too, is that the last time you and I talked, it was kind of right on, it was, They'd started camp, but they still had maybe some unresolved issues for future years where it looked like, hey, could they have some cap flexibility? What are they going to do with impending free agents like Matt Zuccarello, like Ryan Hartman, like Marcus Foligno? And in the span of since we've talked, I think it's only been two weeks, they have signed all three of those guys to multi-year extensions, giving giving you the idea that not only do they like that core and all of those guys are, you know, relatively cost effective, cost control. They kind of know what they're getting, but that, you know, they they don't value so much even the idea of short term flexibility. They they want the guys they want and, and they've they've made that pretty clear. And players that want to be here as well. So, you yeah. know, those were three deals that keep this core intact and obviously very much so put the ownership then on this team that's, you know, been in place now um, as is for a few years since the buyouts really changed the complexion of this roster. Um, you know, I think they still obviously have some flexibility as it projects right now for next season. Um, if the does indeed go up. Um, so they still should have some wiggle room to, to make some deals, do some spending. Um, but obviously this very much keeps this team as we've seen it, you know, these last few years still projects it in place. And like I said, I think that obviously we can see now they've been through this. There's that motivation to try to get past that first round of the playoffs to make that run to translate what's been, like I said, good regular season success, but have it translate to the playoffs. Um, but, you know, I think too, it very much speaks to as, as much as, you know, there's this financial picture of not having money, you know, being put towards the roster, the rising cost of these buyouts, you know, players still play and that's out of their control. And so, you know, I think Marcus Foligno um, really put it in perspective, you know, recently when he spoke about the fact that, 
when that money is off the books and that's money that comes back into the roster, that's money that can be spent on players that can take someone's job. Um, so this two-year window, uh, it's not just a wait and see and it's a holding pattern to players. It really is an opportunity to show you know, not only for team success, but who wants to be here? Who wants to help this team? Because once those buyouts are off the books, there's going to be more flexibility and there can be change and they can go out into the free agent market and spend. And then that's also not, you know, taking into consideration the young players, the players in the pipeline already, the prospects that'll be ready to push for jobs then. So the core is here now, um, but really the spotlight is on what this core can do. Um, there's this two-year window, obviously, where, where the buyouts are obviously going to limit some of the out, you know outside spending. But you know they're here; they want to be here. Now, what do they do? Obviously, a big part of that core is Kirill Kaprizov. That's an understatement. Um, you know, had a really good year again last year. The injury detracted from the end of his regular season, and of course, the postseason. I think we'll find out, you know, at a certain point how much that was a factor in in that in that maybe disappointing output in the playoffs but just named an, an alternate captain for this season um you know i think we've talked a bunch of times like of, about what step he can still take what, what what do you project for him you know a guy who's still under contract for a few years but we can't forget too that this is a guy who i think after the buyouts are done is still will only have like one year left on his deal it kind of lines up with you know a potential new contract for him and kind of where his where his long-term future goes with this team yeah i, I think just where he can take his game how else he can elevate his play we've seen it obviously like you mentioned the injury last season subtracting a month um, not only did it probably obviously temper what he could achieve statistically, but not having that momentum going into the playoffs or even the familiarity of being in, a, in game mode. Um, we saw that in the playoffs where, you know, he just didn't have much of an impact on what the wild were able to do against Dallas. Um, so how does he rebound? How does he bounce back? I, I think the thing with the superstars in the league is, in, and you can see it kind of with the trajectories of the Nathan McKinnons and, and the Connor McDavid's and the Sidney Crosby's, they come into the league and you see their skill. It's on display. We'll probably see it this year with Connor Bedard in Chicago. Just immediately, just the individual talent, how impressive it is, how they can maybe, you know, just spark a team even a little bit. But eventually the skill and talent becomes a question of how does that lead a team? How does that get a team to glory? How does that get a team to the Stanley Cup final and ultimately a championship. We've seen that in Pittsburgh, check for Sidney Crosby. We've seen that in Colorado with Nathan McKinnon. Edmonton, as we mentioned, they kind of seem like they're on the brink of that. They're getting closer. Obviously, McDavid has dry sidle with him. But that just seems to be the missing piece of you know the repertoire and the resume that these players are building is that team success. And I think that's kind of where Kaprizov is at. Um, he obviously has the accolades. He has the records okay, you know, can that be enough of um, a lift to this team to get this team past the first round of the playoffs, to get it on that long playoff run? Can he have that team success? And so I think now a few years into the league, that's kind of maybe where the magnifying glass shifts with him is can he lead this team to the success that's eluded him? Because ultimately, I think with a lot of these players, I'm sure they'd probably say it too. That's the true hallmark. And, you know, as 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 decorated as they can be, 
Um, it just looks like a fuller, complete picture of their impact in the league when they have trophies next to their next to their name as well. One thing that would certainly help is the ascent or potential ascent of Marco Rossi. The Wild gave him a chance last year, but he couldn't find his offensive game with the Wild. Only one point, I believe, in 19 games. But he had a, once he went down to Iowa, things smoothed out. He had almost a point per game, and it sure looks like he's being given every opportunity again this year to succeed. How long, uh, maybe even how long is the wrong question, because he could start out fine and then we don't know how long. But what's kind of, what do you think the outlook is for the Wild with him? Like how how much of a an opportunity is he going to get? Or will they, if he struggles again, will they just, I mean, what if he struggles? I guess that's the big question. What if he does struggle again? Well, I think the takeaway so far is that he very much looks like through camp, someone who's come in that's ready to stick. And, you know, this isn't the first time he's been here on the brink. He obviously made the team out of training camp last season and he got a pretty long runway. Like you said, uh, you know, to even though the offense wasn't there, he was still getting games until he wasn't until he was a healthy scratch. And then in November, ultimately he went back to the minors, but I think, you know, the read so far is just you see the difference a year can make. He had that, you know, another pro season, obviously, of experience in Iowa. But the work that he put in in the summer as well, training here in the Twin Cities, uh, he looks, you know, more confident. He sounds more confident. And, and I think that's important. It may sound cliche, but I mean, these are players that are still at the very early stages of their pro NHL careers. And so I think the role too that he's in could really be conducive as well. Uh, he's skating with Freddie Goudreau and Marcus Foligno. And so it's a line that I think can obviously back up some scoring, provide, you know, maybe some of that support to the Kaprizov, Matt Zuccarello, Ryan Hartman trio, even the Joel Erickson, Matt Boldy and Marcus Johansson line. But they have the tools, I think, as well to be responsible defensively, um, but just, you know, to get up ice, but also be a handful, also be difficult to contain, obviously, with the size on the wings um, that the line can present. So I think that situation also could make it easier for him to come in and have an impact. Looks like he'll get reps on the second power play unit. So the opportunity is there. And, you know, so many times we see, you know, the big headliners, the, the Bedards, they come right right in and they're you know immediately go from the drop table to to an nhl opening night lineup and it, it's just not always you know a straight line from point a to point b and so um having said that though the opportunity's there and he's obviously somebody with the potential he's shown so far that if this team is going to have success you could very easily see him being a catalyst for that because he comes in and really balances and gives some depth to that third line just kind of anchors it um and I think that obviously is what this team needs is just to, you know, have that support and run four lines deep. It's kind of been their mantra, you know, anybody can play with anybody and balance and depth. But that really is, I think, a key to success for this team. And and Rossi could really help them achieve that. Hartman obviously had a big year two years ago when he, you know, he had a career high in goals. And when he's on and when he's playing with Kaprizov and Zuccarello, that line can produce. I still do wonder if in the back of the organization's wish list, it's that Rossi does ascend to that number one center job. Do you still think that's in the the organizational hopes and dreams, or are they just content to kind of let him be what he is and, and not get greedy at this point? 
lot of times performance will dictate, but it obviously would have to mean that something isn't clicking with that line in, in Hartman, Kirill, Kaprizov, and Matsu Kirello. But so far, I mean, all indications are that chemistry really is part of their M.O., especially between, you know, Kaprizov and Zuccarello. But I think Hartman um, really adds to that trio. And I think, too, ultimately, again, for maximizing the potential of this personnel, if you look at the way that they've been constructed in camp and how it looks like they'll start the season, um, each line kind of has a similar identity in the sense that you can see speed and you can see skill, but they also have a little bit of grit. So you have Hartman with the speedy, skilled, Kaprizov and Zuccarello. You have Eric Tanek with that sandpaper vibe alongside Johansson and Boldy. Polino with Goudreau and Rossi. And then obviously Maroon, Pat Maroon, the three-time Stanley Cup champion who they acquired in a trade in the summer from Tampa Bay with the speedy, you know, get-up-ice energy type players in Duhame, Brandon Duhame and Connor Dewar. So that, I think, really speaks to the identity this team is after, is kind of balancing that, okay, this is a team that wants to play aggressive, get up ice, be fast, create offense, but it's going to be a difficult shift. There's also players there that can really grind on the boards, make that four-check life difficult for teams. So if they, you know, not to say that they they can't or won't change it up or load it up and put all their offensive uh, dynamic players on one line, but I think, again, that balance and that depth and making sure every line makes an impact, it totally looks like that's how they're set up to right now. And I think, ultimately, if they can get that pressure from every line and not have a shift off, I think that bodes well for them being a difficult out on any given night for a team. One thing that's interesting to me is I feel like goalie is being considered a relative position of strength. You know, last year was a little bit of an unknown because Gustafson looked like he was going to be the backup. And then his ascent totally changed the kind of picture of what we might have thought of it. That said, kind of a long-winded windup here, but like a goalie hasn't really stolen a series for them in the playoffs in a great long while. Not to say they've been bad in the playoffs, but a goalie can kind of transform and change a playoff series. I just don't feel like that's happened here quite yet. They've won games, but they haven't won series for them. You've got Gustafson still. You just wrote about Marc-Andre Fleury kind of in the twilight of his career, but a Hall of Fame career and kind of enjoying both the duality of being a great player still, but also a family man. Um, you've got Jasper Wallstead still now in starting the year in Iowa. What an interesting dynamic. Maybe you can kind of start with with all three and maybe anything you learned in particular from, from Marc-Andre Fleury and spending some time with him recently. Yeah, it is a, a unique dynamic, and it's, it's going to be obviously a very important position for the future. It, it is for every team, but obviously just what does Florida decide to do after this season? He's made it clear he's not going to decide whether he'll keep playing or retire until after the season. Um, so there's that situation also to monitor with him being so close, eight wins away from becoming the second winningest goalie in NHL history. Um, but Gustafson, you know, to play and have the breakout season that he he had last season to get rewarded with the contract. How does he respond? Can he maintain the level that he was at last season? Can he be better? 
you know, obviously I think that's a, a big probably question and key to the season, um, what type of performance they get from him. And then obviously there's Walstead kind of waiting in the wings, developing um, third on that organizational depth chart is, is next season, you know, his time to maybe get that promotion again, maybe it's contingent upon what flurry decides. So uh, a lot of uncertainty, but I, I think it's been made very clear that you know, the goaltending duties this season will be doled out based on performance. And, and I think that's, that makes sense for what they have. Gustafson obviously seems to be on the rise um, early in his career, establishing who he is. But Fleury is the future Hall of Famer, um, so close to not only, you know, that wins milestone, but getting to a thousand games. I think it'll be interesting to see how his workload is handled um, this season, especially as he gets close to some of these milestones, but still knowing that it's a performance-based job. So, you know, him needing the success um, to keep up and, you know, continue to to get those nods in net. So I, I, I think it'll be a fascinating position for the Wild. Again, if they get the level and contributions they had last season, I, you know, I, I think that works. I think that clicks for this team, um, especially, you know, like I said, with the way that they want to play aggressively up front and really push the pace. It's not at the sacrifice of their bread and butter, which is their defending how clean they keep their own end. Um, and a lot of that starts with their goaltending so um, it will be interesting to see not only after the season what happens but this season too and and you know the performance and how they're able to you know lift the team from that position because like I said it's still you know even with Kirill Kaprizov up front and the chemistry with Matt Zuccarello and Matt Boldy continuing to emerge as a scorer in this league goaltending really does set the tone um, who's the one who does more of that this season I guess we'll find out in time, right? Indeed we will. And one thing we'll also find out is how they can, you know, how much they miss and will weather, have to weather a storm without Jared Spurgeon for, you know, the, or the early part of this season. We've got the, the injury. You're going to miss him for at least a handful of games. Um, you know, they've, they've got some depth there, but maybe not as much as in previous years because no Matt Dumba either. How do you think that plays into the start of this season? Well, I think what's going to be interesting to monitor all season long, which is kind of new for this team, is just the, the impact the salary cap situation does have on the roster. As it stands right now, they're starting the season with just the minimum at every position after Spurgeon's injury. Uh, so that's 12 forwards, that's six defensemen available, and two goalies. And obviously, you know, if there's a need for a call up down the road, it really will depend if they have the cap space available um, to make a call up. It, it'll be interesting. You know, they're, they're starting now really like at this minimum level. Um, it can help them accrue or try to accrue more cap space later in the season. If you think about it. You know, the cap space is, you know, what they have available under the cap to spend to that limit. But contracts, the cost of a contract decreases as the season goes on, right, as it gets paid out. So a contract that costs X amount of dollars right now, if in, in the sense of a call-up, it'll get cheaper as the year goes on, right? So the thinking is that they can stay, at, you know, keep their cap space at the maximum that they can. As the season goes on, they might be able to afford you know, more call-ups, different call-ups, or even, you know, adding someone, bringing someone in via a trade. So they're at the minimum now, but I 
think that's really going to be uh, interesting to watch this season is how they navigate that if they're ever put in a situation where they have to actually dress one player short because they do not have the space to make a call up that would then trigger an emergency situation where after a game playing short they would be able to call up that player so it'll be interesting it, it, it really it just boils down to health and staying healthy and and that's that's fair for every team you saw the impact in the playoffs last season they weren't healthy they weren't at full strength completely and you could see that spill over into some of the games against Dallas. But now to know the implication with the cap and potentially affecting call-ups and just having the resources to ice a full lineup, it'll be interesting to see. And so I think that, you know, you're seeing that now with the depth on defense and Spurgeon gets injured and now they have six and, and that's who's playing. So it'll be something to watch, I think, all season long. Maybe not so much an issue next season. Like we've said, they seem to have a little bit more flexibility built in with their salary cap. But this season, that could play a factor at times, just what they're able to do because of the cap situation. Well, you won't have to ask head coach Dean Evison who's in the lineup. It'll be, it's the, it's the, all, it's the 20 guys we got, right? It's the 20 guys we got. Yeah, for sure. And that's the way it looks like it's starting clearly after Spurgeon was injured in in preseason action. So 12 forwards, six defensemen, two goalies. I guess the decision is who starts in net, right? I guess that's probably about it unless they juggle lines or defensive partners, but I don't imagine that'll happen at least very early. Although hopefully for their sake, they don't start the year giving up 20 goals in three games like they did last season. I think they're still spooked by that but i think they kind of have their playing style figured out now it's not so much of a transition from year to year as it was and opening at home uh thursday against the panthers then it's the maple leafs and canadians on the road three you know, three uh, teams that you don't see very often right out of the shoot and then they get the kings after that back at home so interesting start to the year and we'll we'll see how it goes it's it's always interesting with these guys i think this is i think you and i have talked about this i think it's an important year to kind of maintain a certain water level because things do get a little bit easier like you said next year cap wise and certainly two years from now but you don't want to lose that momentum entirely from what you've built so far that's very fair too. And, you know, like we said, the players play, right? It's out of their control what the cap is and, and what the roster moves may be that, you know, they're still on the ice and they still have a job to do. They do indeed. Sarah McClellan, you have a job to do as well and you do it quite well. Follow her coverage, Star Tribune, startribune.com. And we will talk again soon. Take care. You know, I think the last part of that conversation was the most interesting there with Sarah McClellan talking about the wild and how they'll really be kind of pinched up against the cap and, you know, maybe testing their depth if they have any injuries, maybe not even having a full complement of players at times if they do have, you know, kind of a surprise injury crop up. I think the defensive core right now will will be tested in a way that it just hasn't in, in previous years without Jared Spurgeon to start the year without Matt Dumba for the whole season with him gone in free agency they've had a lot of known commodities on the blue line for quite some time and that is starting to get tested right now so I'm going to be watching that this season that that's been something that's really bolstered their goaltending no matter who's been in there if they don't have that same level of defensive play if they have another injury somewhere in there that's going to be a big test for them to try to withstand this season and that could be where the season gets dicey for them in the future 
Let's finish with the cooler. Chris Hine will join me on Thursday show to talk Timberwolves. He wrote about Carl Anthony Towns and kind of his more quiet, reserved nature so far this season. I had taken note of that at Media Day, and now it's kind of becoming a trend with, with most of Towns' appearances so far this season. I'm going to have to ask Chris a little bit more about that, what we think that's all about. Could be nothing. Could just be a guy who... You know, went through a, an off season where he, you know, maybe got criticized for for some things. A guy who went through a tough season a year ago, uh, maybe a guy who just wants to let his play speak for itself. I don't know what that is exactly, but it's interesting heading into this wolf season that we're seeing a a towns that maybe is a little bit different personality wise. Also, a reminder: there'll be another post game podcast from the Twins tonight. I will be out at Target Field. Probably will be recording once I get back home, just for the sake of. Um, just for the sake of a better audio quality, things like that. But I will be out there, and we'll try to bring you some special stuff from Target Field, see if the game is worthy of that, see if there is a Game 5 Friday in Houston. That is it for this show. Join me later tonight after the Twins game. Until then, I'm Michael Rand. We'll talk to you then.